yeah, that was something. Um, somehow we made it about baptism, so I think that's a win, right? <clears throat> All right. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's this popular phrase that has been making its way through social media for the past year or so, and I normally don't care for what's popular in those circles, but this phrase I quite like, touch grass. It's what you say to someone who's been on their computer scrolling through social media, stuck in an echo chamber for so long that their interactions with others are so warped that their ideas are so warped and it affects everything around them. It affects everything that they do and how they talk to people. They need to go touch grass, right? They need to go outside. <laughs> you tell them to touch grass as if to say, get off the computer. See that there is life outside of your little self-curated bubble, right? When you touch grass, you gain perspective. And you begin to see how toxic it was for you to sit there and stew in your own grease. As Christians, God wants us to touch grass. What I mean by that is that he wants to give us peace and comfort, even perspective, by going outside of ourselves and by meeting him where he promises to be, where we can actually grab hold of him where he invites us to. Touch grass. So today marks the festival of St. Thomas, the apostle, the one who is famous for being unable to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead until he got to actually reach out and touch his Savior's hands and his side. And that story often gets presented, I think, with the wrong emphasis, as if Thomas should have known better. Or sometimes the message and the lesson of that story is, don't be like Thomas. But that's not the point that John is making in his gospel. The point is that Thomas's Lord came to him amid his doubts and gave him comfort and assurance in his resurrected body. That's the point of the story. He turned Thomas's doubts into trust, and it resulted in Thomas's beautiful confession, right? My Lord and my God. Yes, Thomas was a doubter, but you and I would be as well, because we all share in the weakness of the sinful flesh. It's why you and I need to touch grass. There have been times in your Christian life where you have felt attacked on every side, such that you cried out to God for His help. And in those, moment, in those moments, whenever you've spoken your prayers out into the ether, you knew that you shouldn't question whether God truly heard you. You knew that you shouldn't question whether He intended to help you, but you couldn't quite help it. The situation was so desperate that you wondered if He even noticed you. Does He even have regard for you? That hasn't happened to you? Okay, how about this? There have been moments in your life where you have asked God for a sign. A sign that He's with you, that He hasn't forgotten about you, and that He loves you. Yes, you have. We all have. Jesus teaches us about signs in Matthew 16. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Him asking Him to show them a sign. And what they were saying to him is this, if you perform something for us, perhaps we'll take you seriously. 
And Jesus told them this. He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except for the sign of Jonah. So how did Jesus feel about signs? Well, he condemns them if they are sought by those who are coming to him in bad faith. All right? Those guys didn't want to believe in Jesus. They knew of his miracles, but they had actually hardened themselves toward him in unbelief. They wanted him to do a magic trick for their own amusement. But the sign that Jesus wanted to perform so that all might believe was the sign of Jonah. That is, his death and his resurrection. All other miracles would give way to this one ultimate act of salvation. So what is the principle here? What am I getting at? If you come to Jesus asking him to jump through hoops for you, like, well, Jesus, I won't believe you unless you do X, Y, Z, then he isn't interested. But if you come to him humbly looking for him in the places that he wants to be found, in the signs that he wants to give to us, then he will give you exactly what you need every single time. In our Old Testament lesson, Gideon asked God for a sign. The Midianites had been oppressing Israel for seven long years. They had teamed up with the the Amalekites. These were ancient enemies of God. And they would go on raid after raid after raid, wiping out all the Israelites' crops, uh, uh, raiding all of their livestock like a bunch of locusts just descending upon them time after time. And whenever the people cried out to God to deliver them, God did what he always does. And he raised up for them a deliverer to fight for them. And in this case, this deliverer's name was Gideon. God called Gideon through an angel and told him that he was going to deliver Israel by his hand as one man. So by the end of Judges chapter 6, Gideon was sure that God had called him, but he needed a little extra assurance. This wasn't small potatoes. He was about to go and fight the Midianite army who numbered in the hundreds of thousands. So if you think that you don't need a sign from God, I guarantee you that if you're in Gideon's shoes, this is exactly what you would be wanting. God said Gideon was going to defeat them as one man. Of course you're going to want assurance. Are you sure, God? So, Gideon asked God for a a quick faithfulness check. It was a simple test for, for Gideon to know for certain that God was with him. He would leave this fleece of wool on the threshing floor overnight, and if there was dew on the fleece but not on the ground, he would take that as a sign of God's faithfulness. And it happened, just as Gideon asked. He wrung out enough water from the fleece to fill an entire bowl of water. God was willing to grant his request in this case, but the test was only halfway complete. Now that first test really isn't all that impressive. Here's why. Because in those days, especially if you lived in a climate like that, this was an ancient way of actually getting water where there is no water source. You just leave your fleece out there and you you wring it out in the morning. All right? So, so far so good, but not truly miraculous. Here was the miracle. 
This time, God asked, uh, Gideon asked God if he could have one more sign, right? This time, the ground was going to be wet, but the fleece would be dry. And the next morning, that fleece was dry, but the ground was wet. God was on Gideon's side. He was with him the whole time. The only difference was now Gideon knew for certain. Gideon was not a Pharisee or a Sadducee coming to God and demanding that he jump through hoops or else Gideon would not believe. Gideon was a man who didn't like his odds and needed to know that the Lord was with him. Gideon needed to be comforted and confirmed in the Lord's promise, something that God is always willing to do. The same applies to Thomas. In the apostle, we see a burdened conscience, one that is weighed down by sin and guilt, and he's troubled by his Lord's death. Gideon knew that one man could not defeat an entire army. Thomas knew that people do not come back from the dead. Both of them needed something from God to confirm his miraculous promise, and both were rewarded. Both needed to touch grass. Gideon needed to know that he wasn't on a suicide mission. Thomas needed to know that death was truly conquered. God gave Gideon the signs that he needed. Jesus invited Thomas to reach out and grab hold of him. This picture, you can kind of see it up here. This is one of the most famous portraits of this event. And it's probably my favorite, my favorite one of this, this event. Um, I like to point out that Thomas's finger, do you see Thomas's finger? It's deep in there, isn't it? It's, it's a gross picture if you look at it closely. But this is what our Lord invites us to do, to reach out, grab a hold of him. So what about us? What is God's answer to us? whenever we cry out into the night, whenever we're left wondering whether God will help us? Where do we look to know that He is for us and not against us? Where do we, like Gideon, go to know that God has delivered from our enemies of Satan, sin, and death? Where do we, like Thomas, go to have our consciences soothed, our guilt removed, and to hear the assurance that we share in the resurrection of our Lord? You cannot get any of those things by looking at yourself, by looking inward. Whenever you look under the hood of your own heart, what you will find is the fodder that the devil uses to accuse and condemn you. Your own works are never perfect enough. The motivations of your heart are never pure enough. Your repentance is never fruitful enough. You need to touch grass, friend. You need to go outside and lay hold of Jesus where he wants to be found for you. And if you think that you don't need this kind of sign from God, and you're just fine, thank you very much, then I would tell you to wake up and realize that your enemies are far more dangerous than anything that Gideon went up against. 
He was up against hundreds of thousands, and he desperately needed to know the comfort of God's promise and his presence. Your enemy is the evil one. As we say in our famous hymn, on earth is none his equal. His strength is unmatched by any man. Your neck every day, the same sinful flesh that will tell you that you are not forgiven as soon as you walk out these doors, the same sinful flesh that leads you every day into all kinds of vice. Your enemy is the world that rests under God's wrath and hates God, wants nothing to do with Him, and wants you to hate Him too. Do you understand what you are up against? Jesus is not interested in performing magic tricks for us. But when He wants to give us a sign, a sure and certain promise and pledge of His love, His faithfulness, and His presence, we would do well not to despise it or neglect it. We would do well to run to it and to treasure it above all things. And these signs that I'm talking about that Jesus wants to give us are more miraculous than anything that Gideon experienced. Even though they, have, they appear to be anything but to our eyes, they are more miraculous than what Gideon experiences because they actually cause dead people to live. Where do you touch grass? Where do you go to receive the promises of your Lord? You go to baptism because baptism is not just plain water, but it is water included in God's command and combined with God's word. This sign is no mere symbol of our faithfulness to God. Rather, it is God's promise to us that he has taken us into his family, forgiven us all of our sins, made us clean, and has rescued us from the devil. Baptism is miraculous because it brings with it the Holy Spirit and all of His gifts and it delivers the kingdom of God to sinners. Every day you can touch grass by living in your baptism. That life of repentance and faith. Sorrow for sins, but trust in God's promises and His grace. And in keeping with this baptismal life, you touch grass by hearing the absolution, the forgiveness of sins, as often as you can. Because you believe that by it, God deals with you graciously. He doesn't deal with you according to your sins. In all of your mess-ups in your life, He deals with you in a completely different way. He deals with you according to Jesus' death and resurrection, by which you are pronounced forgiven. You hear that forgiveness of Jesus pronounced in church and at home as we sinners have that privilege of forgiving one another's sins by the command of Jesus. Next, you go to the Lord's Supper where Jesus comes to you in His body and blood for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Those words given and shed for you are where your identity is anchored. Because by eating Jesus' true, bl- true body and drinking His true blood in the supper and by believing those words, you know exactly how He feels about you. And you have exactly what those words promise. You touch grass when you realize that everything that is in you is sin and death and everything that is in Jesus is righteousness and salvation and He gives it to you 
freely. He freely offers it to you every Sunday at his table. And finally, you attend to the Lord's preaching. Knowing that the words themselves, the words of a sermon are spoken by a poor miserable sinner, but they are nonetheless the Lord's own words and his promises. And whenever you hear those gospel promises, you know that it is the voice of your shepherd speaking tenderly to you, calling you to faith and giving you his Holy Spirit right here and right now. You abide in his word daily because that's where Jesus wants to be found. That's where Jesus has bound himself so that we can find him. So that we, like Thomas, can lay a hold of him. It's in his word and his sacraments where you and I touch grass. Where Jesus brings us faith. Where he strengthens us. Where he keeps us where he sustains us in body and soul until the last day. And through his word, Jesus comes to you even now, as he did with Thomas, to give you pardon, to give you peace and comfort, so that you know that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Just as he was for Gideon and on Gideon's side and gave him victory, he is for you. And he has given you victory over your enemies through his cross and his resurrection. And he will deliver you finally, totally, and completely on the day when he comes. Amen.